0: Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. so glad you're here. We've been excited for today. Last week, if you missed it, we started a brand new series uh, called For the Love, for the love dot, dot, dot. And so every week we're taking a little bit different angle on that. And so last week, I'm telling you, last week was incredible. I mean, if you missed last week with Pastor Chuck kicking it off, talking about the love of God, it was so, so good. I would encourage you to go to sugarhill.church slash love, and you'll find sort of the resource hub and all the links and all that good stuff. It was really good. I'd, I'd encourage you to catch the replay, the podcast, one of those things. But this week, we're talking about this, the love of the home. And uh, this week's been incredible. With Valentine's Day, everybody's talking about love. Isn't that true? I mean, even in the meet and greet room the Pastor Tripp was talking about, there's little heart-shaped candies. And I mean, it's, it's just everybody is talking a lot about love. And so I thought it'd be fun this week to post on Facebook and basically just ask the question, what's your favorite love song? And I thought maybe I'd get three or four responses. I had no idea within an hour I would have over 100 people commenting on it. And so I started looking over that list, and I thought, man, some of this is awesome, and some of it, I'm like, I need to have a conversation with some of these people. (laughs) We've got a lot lot of different tastes in the room. I I thought it'd be fun if somebody would take all of those and make like a playlist that we could listen to. That would be super cool. But man, when I was looking at all that and and, and just thinking about this idea of love, one of the really, really, really old songs, I think it started back in the 20s or, or 30s was a song called, What Is This Thing Called Love? And that's a great question when we're thinking about for the love of or all for love. And we start thinking about the love of God. And then this week we think about the love of the home. We really need to answer that question. What does love really look like? Um, because honestly, when you think about Valentine's, and you think about all the romantic movies, and you think about even the playlist that people are leaving on my Facebook wall, there's a lot of different definitions of love. There's a lot of people taking a lot of different angles, and especially during Valentine's week, it's easy to think, well, it's romantic, it's ooey gooey, it's you know, all of this stuff. And so today, as we think about the home, the reason why having a good definition of love is so important is because you know as well as I know That in movies, love is awesome. In songs, love is usually great. Some of y'all songs were pretty dark, but that'll be a different sermon series, I guess. Uh, You know, love makes sense in movies and music. But when you take love and you put it inside of a home, you quickly learn that there's stress involved with that. There's tension involved with that. That what makes sense in the movies is sometimes more difficult in the home. What makes sense in a song sometimes is a lot harder in the home. As Andy mentioned in the video, if you missed the video about Make Sense Weekend, Andy talks about that on Friday night when we have a date night for all the married couples in our church, that sometimes we wonder, can marriage be good? Can marriage actually be great? And man, it's this idea that there's tension in the home. And so here's what I want to do. I I just want to shoot straight this morning. I just want to talk about this idea that we need a better definition of love. We need a better way of love when we think especially about the home. And so I can't think of a better place to look than in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have a Bible, if you have the app, if you have something that you can follow along with, I want to invite you to be finding 1 Corinthians 13. Chances are, even if you don't know this passage, you'll recognize it right away. I mean, this is a passage that's read at a ton of weddings. It's read in a a ton of those kind of environments, and it's certainly true in those environments. But when Paul, who wrote this letter in the New Testament, when he's writing, he's actually writing to churches. And he's writing to churches that have a lot of drama, a lot of tension, a lot of stress. Everything isn't going well. And so when he's writing this, he's writing it in the middle of turmoil. He's writing it when everything's not going well, when everything's not perfect, and he begins to say to them, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, I will show you still a more excellent way. He says, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to do this. And he begins to say in chapter 13, this is what love is. And what I love about this is he doesn't just give us a definition, he shows us what it looks like. Now, if you're interested, Most of the New Testament was written in Greek. And so in the original language, there are more words to love than just love. One word in the original language of Greek is phileo. Phileo is what we would consider brotherly love. It's goodwill towards people. This is how we can say, man, I love my buddy, I love my friends, and I love a peanut butter sandwich. Isn't that funny? We put it all, you know, I love this, I love this, and I love right? And, and so uh, this kind of love is sort of that goodwill towards people, good nature towards people. This is phileo kind of love. A second kind of love that's in Greek is called eros. Uh, this is where in English we just sort of translate it into erotic. And so people think of sexual kind of passion, but literally it has to do with any kind of, uh, anytime you feel something. So that could be you're at the Grand Canyon. That could be you're looking at the... Uh, Uh, just the amazing of of God's creation, Niagara Falls, the Grand Tetons, whatever that is for you, that moment where you're just moved by something. What's interesting is this version of love never appears in the New Testament. So when Paul's writing, he doesn't talk about phileo. When Paul's writing, he doesn't even talk about eros. When Paul's writing, he talks about a love that we call agape love. In the original agape love. Agape love, what's interesting is it's not romantic it's not, hey, the mood's just right. I'm on my best behavior. I bought lots of chocolate. And, you know, uh, this kind of love isn't romantic. It isn't ooey-gooey. It isn't any of that. It literally is a choice. It's a mindset. This kind of love that a lot of people would call God kind of love, this is a choice where we have a mindset to say, this is how I'm going to live. And so what i found is it's hard to define it it really is if, if somebody were to say to me bobby would you define love that's really hard it's harder to define it than it is to see it isn't that true in our own lives it's easier to see when it's in action and so that's what paul does he shows us what it looks like in action and that's helpful uh, for instance if somebody were to ask a question and say well what does wh- what is fm radio if I got real nerdy and pulled out some of my military electronic training and was like, well, FM radio is when you take a signal and you inject it into another signal and you modulate it based on the frequency. You're like, what? Or somebody's like, well, how does the internet work? Well, it's real easy. It's TCP IP. Every commercial, every computer has a TCP IP address. It's, it's got this control system, internet protocol. It's where it takes data and it chops it up into packets and it transmits it and it's received and you're like, All I wanna know is if I punch in google.com, will something work, right? And so to define love isn't super helpful, but to show what it looks like I think is great. And so what I wanna do for a few minutes this morning is show you love, not Eros, not Phileo, but what does this agape, this choice kind of love look like and what I think we'll find is that if we'd be real honest, there's tension in our lives because this kind of love is hard. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll just dive in. If, you, if you're a note taker, if you got one of the, the bulletins with the message notes, I would encourage you just to write down because I want to show you really where this kind of love lives and the tension that's involved in it. Because the chances are we've all felt the tension, we just haven't known how to resolve it. So listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. You recognize this, right? Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. And it hopes all things. And it endures all things. And then when you fast forward right to the end of this chapter, verse 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. These three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And what Paul begins to do is he says there's a better way to love. So tension number one, if you've got your message notes and you want to jot these down, there is tension for this kind of love in the home. And the first tension is, am I going to put others first or am I going to put myself first? That's the first tension that I think love in the home fills, is we feel this tension of, am I going to be other focused or am I going to be self focused? See, love in this chapter sounds great. Love in this chapter sounds perfect. I read this a lot when I'm conducting weddings. I'm like, I read this and it sounds great and it's romantic and maybe you've got a picture and you framed it and all of that. But man, when you place it inside of a home, that's where it comes under stress, And if the kind of love that we're thinking in our mind is just phileo kind of love, where we're just thinking sort of goodwill, or if we're thinking even eros, hey, I just want to be passionate, we'll miss out on the true kind of love that says, I'm going to choose to put others first instead of myself. Listen to what Paul says as he writes this. Look back at verse 4. He opens with that one line, love is patient, love is kind. But then he describes, here's what that looks like. Love does not envy, and it doesn't boast. Now, when Paul's writing this, there were people in his day that uh, were, he was polarizing. A lot of people didn't like him. Some people were okay with him. But even some of the people that liked him okay wanted to side with the people that didn't like him because they knew they could be more popular in this circle. And so when Paul's writing, there was a group of people that literally are angling for position. They're posturing themselves. They're trying to get more popularity. So he's literally saying that. This, this is happening in Paul's life as he says this. He says, but true love doesn't do that. True love doesn't envy. True love doesn't boast. right? True love isn't trying to put undue attention on yourself. True love isn't trying to, you know, build yourself up. When he literally says boast, he's saying, basically, it's not boastful, not full of air, not puffed up, right? As he's describing this, he's saying, look, 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 I know. Here's the tension. The tension is it's way easier to focus on ourselves instead of others. The tension is, it's way easier to say, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? How are they going to meet my needs? But Paul says, no, 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 no. This God kind of love, this agape kind of love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. And look at this next phrase in verse four. It is not arrogant. He's writing to a group of people that are like, well, of course we love. Of course we love. We're believers. Of course we love. He's like, well, how come you're being so stinking arrogant? Or look at verse five, or rude. He's saying, look, true love doesn't doesn't show up in unbecoming ways. He says, it is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. And so literally, as he's writing this, there are people struggling with that. They're putting themselves first. They're putting their needs above other people. They're saying, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? How am I going to angle? How am I going to posture? How am I going to make myself look better? And Paul writes, and he says, there's a better way to do this. And man, I think those same tensions apply in the home. Those same tensions that Paul's experiencing in the early church, we experience in the home. Because here's what happens. When two people get married, no matter how great they are, no matter how wonderful they are, still at the core, no matter who they are, this is me, this is you, this is all of us, when two people get married, what's happening is two selfish people are joining into a relationship where they're told no longer to be selfish, but to be selfless. That's why the tension exists. That's why this is real, is because ever since we're born, we come into this world Looking out for who? Looking out for ourselves. No matter how cute the little baby is, they, they're looking out for themselves. No matter how wonderful a child are, we all do this. We all naturally are selfish people. Isn't that an awesome word to hear today? Isn't everybody going to go home and be like, man, this today was so encouraging. Hashtag, we're all selfish, wonderful. But it's, we all know it's true, right? We all naturally gravitate towards self. And what's hard about this kind of love that Paul's writing about is usually in the courting days, usually in the dating days, we we keep all of that under wraps, right? When, we, when, you, when you get into a relationship with somebody, you, you're enamored by them, ooey-gooey, all that kind of stuff. You go out to dinner, you want to put them first. And, you know, always, it's so funny, we're always on our best behavior when we start out. We go out on dates and we're like, uh, a guys, you know, put together an outfit and they look like they have it together. They keep their gastrointestinal behaviors under control on that first day. Ladies don't want to look, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how to say it, but when they go to order at that first date, you're like, whatever you want, honey. And they're like, I just want bird seed and water. That would be awesome. <laughs> and then four months in, they're like, bring me a rack of ribs, right? You know? <laughs> And so the reason why this kind of love is so hard is because early on we do a good job of pushing our selfishness below the surface, but then when you take two inherently selfish people and place them in a marriage and say, be selfless, I heard one pastor say it this way, it's like putting two lines in the same cage and saying, be nice to one another. It's hard, right? It's hard. It's hard. And, and maybe you're not married. Maybe, maybe the application for you today is when you're, When you're thinking about how you interact with the people you're in relationship with at work, the easiest thing is to be selfish. The easiest thing is to, uh, you know, try, try to chime in in only ways and only be helpful at work when it is to your advantage. Right? The selfish way of doing this is to say, how am I going to work my way up? How am I going to look like I have it all together? How, how am I going to look you know, be in the brightest light? The selfless way is to say not what's best for me, but what's best for the whole organization. This is the tension that we all feel. This is even true when it comes to friendships. And friendships, the greatest, the richest friendships is when we show selflessness to the people. When we put other people first, the dangerous friendships are those friendships that are one-sided, where they're only there when it benefits them, when they only participate when it benefits them. Uh, We've all been in those environments where where we've had friendships where where it seems like it's unequal or like we're in competition. You never feel like you can drop your guard because you feel like they're all Always trying to one up you like every time you have a story man. I had dental work on on, on Friday I, I had a cavity filled. Oh, well, you'll never believe what happened to me I had 14 cavities filled the week before I don't have the clip this morning, but if you want to write it down, don't look, don't look at it now because your phone will give you away. But just write down Brian Regan, uh, and the the clip is called Me Monster. I, I, I don't know what it's actually called, but Me Monster, will find it on YouTube. And it's this hilarious bit about how we all know people that are always, always, always one up and one up. And he's like, this isn't the way true love is. True love puts other people first and not self first. This is true in dating as well. If you're in a, in a relationship with somebody, and you're trying to figure out, is this the one? Is she the one? Should we move forward? I'm telling you, you've got to look at it and not say, is this ooey gooey? Is this romantic? But is this the kind of love that God himself says that we're to have? Love does not seek its own way. Ladies, if the guy that you're dating keeps pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and keeps crossing boundaries, crossing boundaries, that's not the kind of love that Paul's talking about. A lot of times whenever I meet with couples that are getting ready to get married, uh, we, all, we encourage, uh, as part of the thing that we do as a church, if any of our pastors marry anybody, then we sit down and we have premarital counseling, conversations that lead up to the wedding day. And one of the books that I always ask couples to read is this book called Love and Respect. Love and respect. And in this book, he talks about what he calls the crazy cycle. He says that at the end of the day, if you're to boil it all down, what women want to receive from their husband is generally they want to know that they are loved. They just want to know they're love. They want to receive love. Guys, on the other hand, the way that they receive that or the the thing that most guys are looking for isn't necessarily love. They're looking for respect he says at the end of the day, that's basically the two foundational needs. Women want to feel loved and men want to feel respected. And the problem is when you get inside the home and you begin to allow your selfishness to come to the surface, what begins to happen is when I start being selfish, then I'm not loving Laura the way that I should love her. And so I break that cycle. and when that cycle gets broken, if we're not careful, it'll fuel the negative side of the other side of the circle. And so if a lady's not feeling loved, and then, then she's not going to feel like showing respect. And if the husband's not feeling respect, and then he's not going to show love, and that's why it's called the crazy cycle. is it starts out small. It starts out with just a a snippy statement or, you know, just one little thing. But then if we're not careful, it begins to fuel the cycle. And if we're not careful, weeks go by. For some people, years go by where you're not sensing the love because of this crazy cycle. And so this is why we need a better definition. This is why when Paul says, I can show you a more excellent way because the way that you break the cycle is by saying, I'm going to choose to put other people first. If it's my spouse, I'm going to put my my spouse first. If you've got siblings, I'm going to put my siblings first. If it's grandparents, I'm going to put my grandparents first. He's saying inside the home, man, others first versus self first. The second tension, number two, if you're a note taker, not only is there the tension between others first and self first, but number two, am I going to respond or am I going to react? Am I going to respond appropriately or am I going to react in the moment? This is attention, right? This is something we've all felt. Maybe, maybe you haven't known what to call it. Maybe you haven't known a definition for it, but you've seen it. You've seen those moments where in that moment, instead of responding appropriately, you had this gut-level reaction that wasn't this kind of love. Listen to what Paul says as he goes on to write. He s- says in verse 4, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not s- insist on its own way. And then he ends verse 5 by saying this. It is not irritable or resentful. In other words, there were people in that church that they quickly just flew off the handle. Irritable, where, where, where they easily are angered just by being, right? They're, they're the red-faced kind of people that just burst out. He's like, no, 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 that's not true love. It's not irritable like that. It doesn't quickly fly off the handle. And then he goes on to say at the end of verse, uh, verse uh, 5, it's not resentful. In other words, he says, true love doesn't keep a long list of everything you did wrong. Right? Because there was people that they, at a moment's notice, they could, they could drudge up everything that had gone wrong in the past. I don't, I don't, it's some, it's crazy. We've seen it, haven't we, in relationships where no matter how much good goes right, The one time something goes wrong, it's like suddenly they become a historian and they're like, well, let me just remind you what you did in 2002. (laughs) And, And this is a real tension. I don't mean to downplay it because this is all real. We've all felt this. Why? Because this is the easier way to do it. The easiest thing to do is to react out of past history. The harder thing, but the better thing to do is to say instead of reacting, I'm going to respond. Now, I I feel the tension in the room because this is a real deal. I've I've talked to people that are like, well, Bobby, that's all great. I mean, 1 Corinthians, that's awesome. That God kind of love, awesome, but that's just not me. I'm just not wired that way. I'm like, oh, really? I mean, how, how come some people can be awful at home? They can say some of the most hurtful things to the people that love them the most, and yet when they walk into a public setting, suddenly they're Mr. Nice or Mrs. Nice. That shows me that anybody can choose the better way. It's a choice. It's not romantic. It's not ooey gooey. In those moments, you're not gonna have a candlelight and and, it's, and it, you know some John Mayer song playing in the background or Nora or what, whoever you're listening to. It's a choice that we have to make to say, I'm going to respond instead of react. And there's a lot of examples of this. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as anybody this morning. I, I was reminded, so Laura and I have been married for a little over six years now. And when we first got married, we rented a house right next to the church. And we were trying to figure out, hey, we want to rent something before we buy, figure out what we actually need and all that good stuff. And um, in, in the rental house, there was one room that was just our junk room. We, you know, we were both uh, got married a little bit later in life. So we both had full households and merged them together, all kinds of stuff. We bought our house and unspoken, I don't know where this came from, I don't even know if I realized it was inside of me, but this unspoken thing was, I wanted to be able to one day park my car in the garage. (laughs) You're like, really? That's your big ambition in life? Thanks, Matt. Uh, Y'all can pray for me to dream bigger, but that was my thing. Growing up, we never had a house with a garage that you park in. So I was like, man, this would be awesome. I'm gonna park my car in the garage. And then we move into the house and you know how the story goes, man, the garage looks like it exploded. I mean, it looks like it exploded. So we got hard to work, uh, we got uh, to working hard and we cleared out one of the bays so that Laura could park in it. And uh, so we're standing there working on the garage, trying to think, how can Bobby park his car in the garage? And so Laura's just trying to be helpful. She's like, all right, let's solve a problem. This is a big deal to Bobby. So let's figure out how to do it. And so she makes this suggestion. Well, why don't we rent a storage unit? I mean, that, some of y'all know where this is going, I guess. So she's like solving the problem, very loving thing to do, and inside, I don't remember what I said, but you know how it is, it's more about how you said it that matters, and Cal's like nodding over here, and yeah, guys, haven't you ever had that moment where after you said something, you're like, holy cow, I shouldn't have done that? Apparently, a few weeks ago, so we're doing this uh, this meal plan where we get different stuff every week, and causes me as a texture freak to try stuff I'd never tried before. Apparently, it's a bad thing when your wife plates the food for you to look at and say, what's that? So that's one of those moments. That's just a freebie. (laughs) Don't ever do that. Lesson number 2003 for me is don't say that. But uh, so we're in the garage and she's like, well, why don't we just get a storage unit? And I don't remember what I said, but I, I know the moment that I said whatever it was I said, I could see in her eyes, I'd hurt her. And what she had no way of knowing is that a simple suggestion brought up all kinds of emotions in me. What she didn't know, and she didn't know until months or years later when we were doing a premarital counseling thing with another couple and I told this story, she had no idea what that was that she felt for me that day. But what it was is that when I was in my freshman year of college, I think my parents' house caught on fire. It wasn't a big fire, but it was enough that it smoked the whole house. We had to move out, put a ton of stuff in storage, moved back into the house a few months later. And my dad left a bunch of stuff in storage, never got it out. After he passed away, we finally went to empty that place out 15 years later. And so what she didn't know is that brought an emotion up inside of me where I was like, are you kidding me? We paid like $12,000 over this time to store stuff that we don't even want. She had no way of knowing that. So, so for me, I'm, when she says, hey, let's get a storage building, I'm thinking $12,000 that was wasted that we should have dealt with earlier, right? Right. So she had no way. Is this making sense? Man, this is a real tension we all feel because all of us bring our histories. All of us bring our emotions. And so the easiest thing to do is to react out of that. That's what I did that day is I reacted. I was like, are you kidding me? We're not going to waste $12,000. Is that what she was trying to do? No. She was trying to offer a solution. She was trying to show me, uh, sh- show me something that I value, being able to park my car in the garage. Now both of our cars are out in the driveway, so we're even now, right? <laughs> <laughs> So tension number one, others first versus self first. Tension number two, am I going to respond or am I going to react? And probably one of the best things to do is in that moment, just to hit the pause button, in that moment, instead of reacting to say, I'm just going to put some space between that emotional trigger that's inside of me and what I actually say, right? And it's also a good thing to have a follow-up conversation when you realize you did it and own it, which I apparently didn't do because she didn't know the story until a year or two later, to say, you know what? I know you were trying to do something great. Here's what I felt, right? And then number, tension number three, am I going to believe the best or am I going to assume the worst? Am I going to believe the best or am I going to assume the worst? And I'm telling you, all of us have a tendency to lean one way or another, but I'm telling you, when, when love is under stress, this is a real tension in the home, because if we're not careful if we let the crazy cycle to go on for a long time and then we start reacting instead of responding then it's way easier to lean towards the well i'm going to assume the worst well there they go again i i knew it they were going to be late i knew it they they didn't do what they said right it's easy if we're not careful to assume the worst i think it's andy uh andy stanley that says that in all of our lives, there's what we expect and then there's what we experience. We all walk into the home, whether you're married and you walk into the marriage, whether you're a kid, you've got certain expectations, whether you, you're single. I, I, I This applies so many different places besides just the home. But he says, all of us have what we expect. And a lot of times that's informed by how our parents raised us. That's informed by what we saw. We assume that every family handles stuff the same way our family did. We have expectations. And the truth is, a lot of times those expectations aren't met. There's the expectation, and then there's what we actually experience. There's reality. And between those two things is this gap. Every relationship has that gap. And we have to decide, what am I going to fill that gap with? The easiest thing is to fill it with a bunch of negativity, to assume the worst, to beat up on the people we love the most. The easiest thing is to go off and be like, man, there they did it again. I told you they were going to do it. And we, whether that's on social media, whether that's in some circle of friends, the easiest thing is to assume the worst. But here's what Paul says. There's a better way to do this. Is it easy? No. Is it glamorous? No. But it's God's way of doing it where we believe the best. Another way of saying this is to always give the people in your home the benefit of the doubt. To always give them the benefit of the doubt. When they react, instead of pointing it out, ah, there you go again, flowing off the handle, flying off the handle, instead of To to say in your head and your heart, they didn't mean to do that. When they forget something, I'm going to lead with not, oh, they did it again. I'm going to lead with, they didn't mean to do that. We've got to decide what are we going to do. Here's what Paul says as he writes about this. He says in verse 7, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things, and it endures all things. He's saying, man, this is the kind of love that can prop up your home. This is the kind of love that can prop up your family. This is the kind of love that that if you're single, you're looking for in your mate, right? This is the kind of love that, that, that we can really live by. It's not flashy. It's not glamorous, but it's so necessary. It's a better way of doing it. He says love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying there is absolutely nothing that love cannot face. Well, how do you do that? It comes down to a choice. Love is one of those things that's hard to define. It's hard to say, here's what it is. It's easier to say, here's what it looks like. But if I were to have to define agape love that comes out of the shepherd of this guide kind of love, here's what I would say this kind of love is an action, this kind of love is a verb. This kind of love is something that you do. This is an action that's based on an unconditional commitment to the other person, whether it's your mate, whether it's a family member, whether it's a brother or sister, whether it's a, a, some, somebody else to say, this love is going to show itself in the actions that I take through an unconditional commitment. is from a promise that will not be broken and probably the best way to do this comes right out of verse 4 where he says love is patient and love is what is kind that every single one of us can make this choice Every single one of us can say, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to assume the best. Whenever something goes wrong, I'm going to say they didn't really mean to do that. I'm going to keep believing the best. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to choose that. It's easier. I'm telling you, it's easier to choose the negative side, but to say, I'm going to choose to believe the best. Love is patient, which is sort of passive, but love is also kind where I take action. And this kind of love shows up when we serve other people, when we respond appropriately, and when we believe the best. Let me pray for us this morning. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? And I just wanna pray for what God is doing in and through us and through this time because I believe that at the end of the day, all of us really want to experience this kind of love. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not obvious, but it's so worth fighting for. To every man in the house that, man, your, your marriage is strained right now. And I want to invite you to lean in and say, I'm going to choose. Love is an action this week. To every, to every lady that maybe you don't feel the love that's part of that crazy cycle and you see it spinning out of the control, would you say this day, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose in my head, and my heart, uh, not out of emotion. I'm going to choose to live out this kind of love. To every kid in the room say, man, maybe I haven't always seen it modeled the right way, but as a child, I'm going to choose this kind of love. I'm going to put others first. I'm going to respond appropriately. I'm going to assume and believe the best instead of assuming the worst. If there's anybody this morning as we pray that would just say, Bobby, pray for me. That's me. I want to have that kind of love. That's me. I I, want to live this kind of thing out. And you just be honest and say, would you just pray for me that I would choose this better way? I would resolve the tension God's way. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air, straight up in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're watching online, there's a little prayer button you can click. We'd love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Father, that is our prayer today, that you would help us to live a better way. God, we know the question isn't if there's going to be tension because everybody feels it. The best homes feel it, the hardest homes, everybody feels it. So God, I pray that you'd help us to resolve the tension in your way. Just as you encouraged this early church, would you help us to be encouraged to love in a way that isn't conditional, to love in a way that isn't really emotional, but to love in the way that you did where you put other people first on this earth. And you responded to it by going to the cross, making it possible for all of us to have a better today and a brighter tomorrow. So Father, I pray all across this room today, I pray for those that are watching and those that are listening later on. Would you cause that hope to rise up inside of us? Would you cause that optimism to rise up inside of us? Help us to believe that your love is worth fighting for. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.